Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all of you in the room. I hope you feel celebrated and loved, and it was so good for us to laugh along with Jeremy. He's a good guy, isn't he? Makes me laugh. I love his whale moment. I'm gonna use that. That's fantastic. You know, today we close out a series, and it's called He Is, You Are, where each week we've been looking at these, these attributes of God that become so powerful in us and the way that we live our lives. Um, they're things that we hold. They're things that we wrap ourselves around. And today we're going to look at this idea of God is loving. You are loved, right? We could actually go further than that. We could point back to First John and say, God is love. You are loved and quote scripture in that way, right? This is a really big one. You know, one night I was sound asleep and really deep sleep. You ever have that moment when you wake up, it's like you got hit by a truck, you're in that deep sleep. And I was woken up by my wife shaking my arm. And I, I roll over and just turn and I'm like, why are you shaking my arm? And she goes, I heard something. And I said, okay, go back to bed. Right? Because that's kind of like anybody who's like, why weren't you more compassionate? Because you forgot what it's like to be woken up in the middle of the night in a deep sleep. You never wake up and you're just like, got it. You know, I'm on it. Like it's always this like waking the zombie or the monster, right? Some of you get this. And so she shakes my arm and, I, and, she, and she says, I, I heard a noise. And I go, okay, cool. Go back to bed. And then she goes, no, I'm worried about it. Like, I think somebody might be in our house. So I lay and I roll on my back and I just lay there quietly, you know, where you do the like, let's see if I hear something. And I love that rationality. In case something's bad, let's give it more time and see if it gets worse. You know what I mean? And I'm laying there and just like, okay, do I hear it? Do I hear it? Don't hear anything. And I go, I don't hear anything. Let's go back to, go back to bed. And then she says, can you please just get up and go check on the girls and make sure that something's, you know, everything's okay. And I realized in that moment, this doesn't end until I get out of bed and make sure that everybody's okay. And so if I want to sleep for the rest of the night, I need to do that. And so I go and I get up and I go to get out of bed and I hear a crazy noise and I hear something weird in our house. And I suddenly think, I think something's in our house or someone's in our house. And now we're both on the same page and this just got real, right? You had that moment? And what do you do when you have that moment where you actually think something might be in your house? I might actually have like a home intruder or something. You reach for something to take with you. And so I reach over to the nightstand, I grab something, I go walking through the house and my insides are tight and my stomach's clenched and you become like that animal waiting to either like pounce or run or scream or whatever weird thing you're gonna do in the middle of the night in that situation, however that's gonna go down. And I hear this noise and there's something that beats on, like hits a wall or something. And then I hear my daughter making a loud sound also. And I start to worry about her and I go down the hallway and I realize my daughter's having a night terror. And she's screaming and yelling things and she kicked the wall and she's in a bunk bed. So she's throwing things off of her bed. It's making all kinds of racket. It sounded like somebody was in our home. And I know that that's not a good thing for my daughter, but I'm a little elated in that moment because that means I don't have an intruder in my home that I need to like do something about, right? And so I help her and, you know, calm that down. And I go walking back to my room and it's not until I go walking back to my bedroom, now fully alert, adrenaline going, like I'm not going straight back to bed anymore. And I look at my hand and there in my left hand, I'm left-handed, I look and I'm holding a rolled up magazine. That was the weapon of choice, friends. A rolled up magazine. You know, just in case the intruder was a fly who needed to be severely dealt with. Like, what was I gonna do? Go fan the person with this thing like, and try to calm them down or have them learn through osmosis and just give them literature? Like, what was I gonna do? with any, it was ridiculous, right? Why was I holding this magazine? It's a little embarrassing and I laughed at myself. I wish I could tell you that's the only time that ever happened. It's happened more than once. 
One time I grabbed a towel and wound it up like I was going to be like the ultimate frat guy rat tailing somebody out of my house, which would just tick everybody off, right? That's only going to make the situation worse. If they weren't mad and going to hurt you before that, they are now. It doesn't make any sense. And so I find myself asking the question, why did I reach for that? <laughs> why? why? In a moment where there could be a potential threat or danger, where I needed something to actually help me out, like, why was I holding this? And I can't explain it. Do you know what this is like, by the way? Have you had this moment? Some of you guys are like, no, never. And even if I did, I wouldn't admit it. It's never happened, right? I think we have. You ever found yourself kind of frightened in a moment or unnerved or there's a big problem or something that you're facing and the thing you reach for is a little nonsensical? Or the way you move your body and suddenly it's like, what was that gonna do? That's, that's nothing. You're just gonna get hit by that car. You know what I mean? Have you ever found yourself not in a situation quite like that, but in life where... You have a moment where something's broken, something's not working, and so you reach for a tool to fix it. And you reach for a tool that's like not a tool you should ever use to fix that thing at all, and then you just decide, well, I'm already holding it, and so you use it and you break everything, including the tool. Now you have to call a repairman to come fix all of the things. That happens. Why'd you reach for that? Have you ever tried to solve a problem in your life and the thing that you reached for ended up proving to be ineffective? ended up making things worse. And you're just like, I don't know why I reached for this. It's just the only thing I knew to reach for. Maybe there's a moment with your kid or your spouse. Maybe you're in a relationship or we do this all the time as parents, right? Or just life in general. Sometimes you're facing tasks at work or obstacles. Life gets hard sometimes. Things happen. And then you go to reach for something and you're like, here's my strategy. Here's the thing I'm going to implement. Here's what I'm bringing to the table with me. And you do. And then hindsight has this way of teaching you like, that seemed like it worked in, the mo- worked in the moment, but now you're a little older, a little wiser, and you look back and you're like, I think that made things worse. I think that just prolonged it. I think that set somebody into hiding. We do this in our relationships. Have you ever faced an issue of sin in your life? Or a struggle in your life that goes on for a long period of time and you keep reaching for things? Maybe you reach for shame or you reach for guilt or you reach for some kind of self-condemnation because if you just hate yourself enough, you'll change and yet... You've gotten wiser over the years right now. You stand back and you look and you're like, I mean, I feel like I'm changing, but I'm still in the same path. I'm still in the same things. It didn't help. Why am I doing this? Why, do I keep re- Why am I holding this rolled up magazine in my life? You see, the truth is, I, I don't always understand why we reach for the things that we do, but I understand why we reach. I don't know why I was holding a magazine, but I know why I reached for one. You reach because you have a real life. You are a real person and it's the only life you have and it matters to you and you actually care about these things. I do too. And so when you go to face the obstacle or the problem or the thing that's in your life, when you go to face the thing that's kind of invading your space and and that you're struggling with or wrestling with, you reach for something because you want to change it, because you care, because you actually want to be able to carve a path forward with something good here. I know why we reach. I just don't always know why we end up holding what we hold. Your relationships matter to you. Of course you'd reach for something. No one likes to struggle in sin and struggle in ongoing like any of that. Of course we'd reach for something at some point, right? Of course we would. Why do we find ourselves holding these things? See, at some point, at some point in time in your life, you're going to reach for something because you're going to have something that matters to you in a deep way. You're going to have something you're struggling with, something you're wrestling with, someone around you, and you're going to reach for something. And in that moment, you need something that actually is enough to carry you. It's actually enough to pull you forward, friends. You don't need a rolled up newspaper, a rolled up magazine, or a metaphorical towel rat tail. You need something powerful. And thankfully, the Bible actually tells us, God in his word tells us exactly what we should reach for. Through scripture, he tells us again and again to reach for the love of Christ. 
to reach for the love of Christ. This becomes a very powerful thing. We don't think about it that way, right? What we often think about is like, that's like this good thing, but when I have a real problem, what I really need is something else. And yet there's something really important, something really powerful, something really transformative about reaching for the love of Christ to wield it almost like a weapon as you face the tasks and obstacles and things in front of you as it guides you forward. And I wanna unpack this a little bit this morning. In the book of Matthew, Jesus delivers what's called the Sermon on the Mount. This is an amazing sermon, friends. If you've never read this, it's found in Matthew chapters five through seven. We're gonna hang out in chapter seven today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, The Sermon on the Mount is almost like Christ saying, this is my heart for you as you actually live your life in this world. This is what I'm after. This is what I want. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. If that language doesn't make sense, here's essentially what it is. This whole sermon that Jesus preaches It's about how to live and relate to others and yourself in such a way that the truth of God in you makes its way out to be the truth of God around you, that you create that kind of world wherever you go because it's in here and it flows out here. It's like a transformation from the inside out. And this is what he's teaching on. And here's what's crazy. Jesus didn't teach this message in a temple and he didn't teach this message in a synagogue. And that's really interesting to me. You see, what that tells us is this isn't some heady intellectual message. This isn't some kind of like him waxing philosophical about doctrine and deep theology or like these types of things. And this also isn't him like somehow unpacking and deconstructing, you know, some kind of religious doctrinal something or other. If he'd have done that, he would have done it in the synagogue and he would have done it in the temple. The people he would have been speaking to are the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders or the scholars, right? Like all these different people, but it's not. What happened was there's a huge group of people that all have been, have been gathering around and coming to hear what Jesus has to say. And they're real people with real problems and real issues in their actual lives. And they gather to listen to him. And he goes up on a mountainside. And I got the privilege of going to this place at one point in time. You can speak unamplified and your voice will carry down this hill. Jesus stands in a spot with all kinds of real people, just like me, just like you, who have real issues and real things that we actually care about in our lives. And they don't want to reach for a metaphorical magazine. They want something they can actually carve away forward in their lives. They want something that's actually going to hold them, something that's actually going to matter. And this is the population that Jesus is speaking to. I want to start, I want to do something kind of different here. I want to look at part of this, the Sermon on the Mount, but I want to start from the end and make my way backwards. We're not going to cover the whole thing here. I just, there's something you start to see when you look at the end of this thing and you just work your way back that, that becomes clear in terms of what Jesus is really after here. He closes this sermon this way. Matthew chapter 7 Verse 24, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus is saying to them, but also to us, even here and now, we are real people with real moments or care about these same things here today. And he looks and says, if you want to have a firm foundation, and he's he's not just talking about theologically, he's saying if what you build your life on, the decisions you make, the life you actually live, this one that each of us has right here and right now, if you want to build that life on a firm foundation, he says, build it on me. Hear my words and actually put them into practice. Do these things. Not simply because he wants your obedience, but because this is the way to life. 
hear these things and actually do them in such a way that the truth of God in you makes its way through you and out of you and you create the kingdom of God around you. This becomes a very, very powerful thing. This is the kind of foundation he's saying. What Christ is saying in here is if you want to face the chaos of the world around you, then be anchored by a power that is greater within you and bring it to your life. Do these things. Hear my words and actually do them. That's what he says. May each of us build our lives upon a firm foundation that is rooted in Christ. So we seek to put what he wants and who he is into action in our own lives. And then let's go back to the verses before that moment. Chapter seven, verse 21, Jesus says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Verse 23, and then, I, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's really interesting. Jesus here is speaking to a group of religious people. That's who he's talking about at this particular moment. He's giving a message to a group of religious people. And we're in, this is indicated by what he says their response is, right? They come to him and what do they say? Lord, Lord. Well, they're using the right language. They're saying Jesus is Lord. And they're attributing that to him. And they're saying, this is what we think about you and who you are. This is, this is what we think. And, and then it's not just what they say about him. They even talk about the way they live and they talk about the behavior. They say, we prophesied in your name. So not just right language, but they also talk about like this kind of right behavior. We prophesied in your name. Which prophecy doesn't just mean we predicted the future. I know a lot of times it, it can seem like that. A biblical sense of prophecy is we, we took what we knew to be true and we paved the way forward with it. We articulated that this is who you are and what you want and what we need to do. We articulated that this is where we should turn from this and move towards that. We did this in your name. We prophesied in your name and we did more than that. We fought spiritual battles. What's it say? We cast out demons in your name. We fought spiritual battles. We stood against evil. We took a stand against evil and we tried to carve a way forward in all of this. And we did many mighty works in your name. We did good things. We sought to be a force for goodness and holiness in this world. We strove after those things. Lord, Lord. And this is what makes Jesus' response so perplexing. When I read through this initially, I find myself a little confused and going, what's really happening here? Because it's a little confusing. It's shocking what he says to them. It should cause us to pause and reflect on what he's saying. He says, I will declare to them. And that made me pause. He uses the word declare, guys. He doesn't say, and I'll make a mild suggestion or I'll kind of float it out there. Or I'll, you know, say to them that he, no, with full volume, I will let them know. I will declare to them, this will be my overt response. And then he says, I never knew you. Depart from me. And then he calls them workers of lawlessness. That should confuse us. At least that's my thought. Why did he call them workers of lawlessness? Everything they just said, everything he just attributed was, was following the law. He, they call him Lord, Lord. That's the proper thing to call him. That, that's the proper perspective. They did good things in his name. They prophesied in his name. They cast out demons and waged like, you know, war against evil, so to speak, in his name. Why are they workers of lawlessness? What does this mean? Why does he refer to them this way? This is a question I want to ask us real quick. See, in the Gospels, there's two moments. 
that Jesus articulates the law he cares about most. He articulates a bunch over time where he says that he has come to fulfill the law, that all the Old Testament, all the things, they ultimately point to Christ. Like he's the climactic moment of all of that. And that he now fulfills the law. But that doesn't mean that he's just like, and so, you know, nobody cares about anything. He's like, no, there's things that are really important. In fact, he lays them out as commands. And, and there's, this happens twice. Matthew chapter 22. We've talked about this verse a ton in here. I know many of you have heard it. If you haven't, I'm glad that this will be your first time. If you have, hear it anew this morning. Matthew chapter 22. A lawyer, religious leader comes to Jesus and asks him of all the law and all the prophets and all the things, the whole Old Testament, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus says, all of the law and all of the prophets, all of that stuff telling you what to do and how to do it, it all hangs. It's all dependent on, it can all be summed up by this. He says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus says, this is my command. Like these are, this is the great commandments. The second is like it. There's another moment though, in John chapter 13, where Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, a new commandment I give to you. A a new law to live your life by more or less. A different set. And he says, I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is what Jesus does here. Why does Jesus, so go back to the Sermon on the Mount for just a moment and let's wrestle with our question for just a second longer. Why does Christ call these people workers, these religious people, workers of lawlessness when they were working so hard to uphold the law? Why is he calling this? Well, it's because he actually wants us to build our lives on a firm foundation where we hear his words and we actually do them. And doing that means we live by the law of love. It's not just any law. What he's saying is there is a law that his heart is attuned to. There's a law that he's after. There's a law that creates the kingdom of God in this world. And it is the law of love that you want. Love God with all your heart, mind, strength, all of it, all your soul, every part of you. And that you also love one another as you love yourself. And he says, and this is the primary way that you'll know that people will know that you're my disciples, that you follow me. They'll see Christ in you this way. My command, love one another. This is what he's pointing us to. Hear my words and do these things. Right? And then if you look at the verses before the ones we just read, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, grapes aren't gathered from thorn bushes and figs aren't gathered from thistles. He says, you'll know what you're rooted in. You'll know what your foundation is built upon and where your roots stretch into based on the fruit that's produced in your life. If you want to produce the fruit of God's love in your life, then you've got to reach deep into the ground. Stretch your roots deep into his love as you stand on the foundation of who Christ is for you and in you and through you. Stand on that and let it make its way powerfully out of you. Saying, stand in me. See, I really wanted to talk through all of this today because this is essential to the church. This is essential for me and for you, for our lives. That is, what this looks like is that we build a foundation where? What's our foundation? In Christ. We build that on Christ. He is our rock, right? And the Bible talks about him being a cornerstone and all these analogies to that thing. We build our life on Christ. And what are we anchored in? His great love for us, right? We love because he first loved us. We anchor ourselves in that. We root ourselves deep in there and we build a life up on top of that. Out of that ground, we grow. And this is huge. The love of Christ is the foundation we build our lives on. 
like trees driving our roots into the earth, we reach and stretch to be planted firmly in that love. This is big. And, and I want us to see it. The reason why it's so important is because we usually flip this upside down. And, and let me illustrate this through a story. So my dad has condiments in the fridge, like more than food in the fridge sometimes. Like, I don't know if you're that parents or you're that dad. I'm kind of like this too, actually, just like walls of condiments. Because he likes sauce on like everything right? You can make like a gourmet meal or whatever it is. And he's like, let me go put some sauce on it. And if you're that chef that's going to be insulted, you're going to be insulted. Like that's what's about to happen. And if you ask him why, he goes, because it tastes better. Because I like it. Because this is what it is. And so this meal will come out and then my dad will take like hot sauce, his favorite hot sauce or his favorite whatever sauce. And he'll sprinkle that all over the top of it because that's what he likes. That's what he loves. And there's nothing wrong with that. I wanted to share this with you though, because it's an illustration. That's actually what we do with love that needs to flip upside down. Here's what I mean. Jesus says, if you want a firm foundation to be anchored in me, then hear my words and do them. And don't be a person who behaves with lawlessness, but follow my law. So we build ourselves in the foundation of Christ and we build ourselves on that law. And, and that law isn't the Old Testament. It's the law of love and that there's grace for you and that this is what's true. But more often than not, what happens is, is we don't start there. Where we start is we go, I have a problem in my life that I'm facing. I have a difficulty I'm struggling with. There is sin crouching at my door. There's something I really care about. And so what we say is we reach for a rule or we reach for a principle. And they're not bad. Those are necessary, very important things in our life. Like everybody knows this and who's lived life for you know, half a second or more here. You start to realize principles and these rules and these things are important. But we try to reach for a strategy or whatever these moments are. And it's like holding a metaphorical magazine or a newspaper or a towel in our hands to approach these things. And Jesus is saying, hear my words and do them. No, don't sprinkle love on the top to add a little more flavor. Start with it. Start there. Stand in it. Stand in me. Stand in who I am. Stand in my sacrifice. Stand in my love. Stand in my power. Stand in that. Stretch your roots down deep. Sprinkle on your strategy. Sprinkle on your rules. Sprinkle on your perspective. But let love be the thing that anchors you because it's binding you to the very heart of Christ. He loves you and has gone to great lengths to declare it to you. Start there. This is why this is a very practical thing. And I say this because sometimes it can sound like love is like a sticker you wear, like, I love people. And everyone's like, oh, that's awesome. It's a bumper sticker, you know? It can. Sometimes love can sound like it's just like, let's all try to be better people. That's it, great, but this is way deeper than that. Sometimes it can sound like love is very much like, let's just not, let's like, Use love as an excuse to avoid all conflict in our lives so that we don't have any of that because we just love each other, right? No, that's conflict avoidance. There's something different. It's different than that. Sometimes love can be like, let's just choose love so we never stand in anything because we claim love. No, love is standing in Christ who stands for you, friends. Not laying in a grave, but risen again. Stands for you, holds you, pulls you near. Love is standing in him. Reach your roots deep into that. Don't sprinkle it on the top of your life as you face the issues in front of you. Bring it to your life like a weapon you wield to face the thing in front of you. Start there. And I promise it's powerful. It's why you're here. The message of Jesus Christ has transcended 2,000 years. It is still continuing on and, and moving and growing even now, even still. Why? Why did it last that long? Because love transformed people from the inside out to such a degree that it compounded and compounded, and it's why you're here. That love wasn't a moment long ago. It's your moment right now and your moment tomorrow and your moment the next day. It's what you build your life on. 
as you stand in it. It is a very, very powerful thing, friends. And here's why this matters. And here's why I'm unpacking this. And you're like, I get it, love matters. I know, but there's gonna come a moment when you hear sound in your house in one way of speaking or another. There is. There's gonna come a moment where you hear noise and you suddenly begin to struggle with whatever circumstance life has put in front of you. And you're gonna reach to the nightstand and you're gonna reach to grab something to tackle that. Start with love. Start with that firm foundation. You can add more to it along the way, but start there. There's gonna come a moment where your kid or your friend or your parent or your coworker is going through something and you're like, no, I care so much. My heart hurts to watch this happen. I need something to help them now. I care so much about this. I need something to just step in and change. Like, what's the rule? What's the thing? If I just learned this one thing, what would change that moment for them? Right? We always want this thing that's like the get out of jail free answer. If you just do this one thing, all of life's problems go away. I just want to pause. You guys have been living life a long time. Has that worked out for any of you? It's a lot of things, isn't it? It's standing in foundation of Jesus Christ. It's living out of that love. It's trusting faith in the spirit and of God. It's risking the unknown as you step into situations that you don't know how to navigate, but you don't do it alone. He's with you. And that empowers you and you learn and you trust. And there's this whole body of wisdom and knowledge that comes with you in that as your direction is steered and you grow and you transform. That's what we call the process of sanctification within the church. It's a powerful thing, but you start in love, friends. Jesus points to this. He sums this whole sermon up in chapter seven, verse 12. And I'm gonna read it to you here. And what's interesting is if you've never been in a church before, if you've never even read a Bible before, I'm gonna wager you've heard this verse. I'm gonna wager that you actually know it. And it's this, uh, Matthew chapter seven, verse 12 says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. He's just gotten done talking about all kinds of things, friends. He's talked about adultery. He's talked about lust. He's talked about worshiping God. He's talked about law. He's talked about how to pray. He's talked about judging other people. He's talked about our, like, I mean, this, there's so many things he covers in chapters five through seven, and then he sums it all up here. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Did you catch what he said there though? For this is the law and the prophets. Where else does he say that? There's one other place that he says that same thing. When somebody says, what's the greatest commandment? And he says on this, the entire law and all of the prophets hang what? That you love the Lord your God and you love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? Jesus gives us this, it's called the golden rule as culture. Like this is what everybody has, if you know it, you probably hear about it as the golden rule. Jesus gives us the golden rule as a practical way to stand foundationally in his words and live out the law of love to do this, to start there. When you reach for the nightstand, it's what you grab a hold of. You say, I want to live out of love. Okay, first step. What do I do here? Well, you treat others the way that you would want to be treated. You give away the thing that you most want. Whatever it is that you wish somebody would do for you, do that for them. There's a lot of ways that we can break this down in terms of practically engaging our lives. Uh, and to make this a little more practical this morning, but I want to unpack four. And, and here's the first one. And this is a way to live out the golden rule so that you stand in the foundation of Christ and live in the law of love. You don't drift from that. You don't sprinkle it on the top. It grounds you in it. The first is this, love from desire and not from duty. This is what God does for us. This is one of my favorite things about God. It would have been so easy to open up our Bibles at some point and read, well, 
Thus says the Lord, he created people and those people frustrated him, but he was like, well, I'm contractually obligated to them because I created them. So I should probably go rectify the situation. And so because I have to, I must. And I sent Jesus. It would be so easy to read something along those lines, but we don't. Every time you read about what Christ did for you, every time you read about God looking at humanity and being like, I need to intervene and step in here and you see what he did in Christ, what does it say? Is it because of his obligation? Is it out of a sense of duty? No, what is it? What anchors all of it? Love. For God so loved because of his great love. This is the thing that is compelling him. He actually desires to do it. Don't love from a sense of duty or obligation. Love from a sense of desire. I had a moment with my daughter this week. And I, I got home from work. I don't know if you noticed this last week was hot, <laughs> right? It was really, it's really, it's still warm. Um, when, when I got home from work, I decided, hey, I'm going to work out. And I went in my garage and I worked out for 35 minutes with the door shut at like 4 p.m., which is like doing Bikram yoga in your garage. It's awful. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it's real hot. And, and so I got super hot, which makes you super exhausted. And I was tired and I cleaned up and I came inside and I went and I sat down at the table and I started doing something on the computer and I'm just done. You know what I mean? Done for all things, done. And my daughter, my oldest daughter walks up to me and she says, hey dad, I was wondering if maybe tonight we could like go grab something to eat and talk. Yeah, I want you to imagine and just, I use the word imagine, otherwise you'll, you'll think I'm a terrible person here. Imagine. Imagine that I look at my daughter in that moment and I go, you know what? I am hot and exhausted and tired and this chair feels like the best thing that's happened to me in a long time. And I don't really want to leave my house or go anywhere because staying here sounds great. But you know what? Father just stays this week and I don't want to be seen as a bad dad. And I'm the only dad you got. So I guess somebody's got to show up. If I don't, then somebody ought to. And so, you know, God tells me that that makes me a better person or something, I guess. I don't know. So, all right, yeah, let's go get dinner. I want you to imagine that happens. It's one thing, you laugh about it, but like what message does that convey to her? Here's the thing, if you wanna treat others the way that you wanna be treated is starting with the golden rule, living out the law of love, how many of you want to be an obligation to somebody else? You hate that moment, don't you? Don't you hate it when somebody's doing something simply because they have to and you don't feel like there's any genuine desire or love that's in it? It kind of hurts, actually. It's amazing how doing a good thing can kind of hurt sometimes in that regard. It's not what we want. Don't do this from a sense of duty. Follow in God's lead. Love like Christ. Stand in Him. Love with a genuine sense of desire. But let's also acknowledge, you're not always going to desire it. You're going to have a moment where you're like, this chair feels great, and I don't want to get out of it. You're going to have a moment where the person that's standing in front of you to love is a person that's hard for you to love and it doesn't feel like it comes naturally. Sometimes just the desire to be a person who desires to love is enough. Grab a hold of that and step into that and trust the spirit of God to work in you and move you and open you up so that real love can occur. I looked at my daughter in that particular moment and I said, okay, where do you want to eat? And I did say it kind of like that. I wasn't like, this means so much. Like, this isn't a Hallmark moment. This is real life. You know what I mean? I said, okay, where do you want to eat? And we ended up going out. And by the drive home, by the time we got home, she talked to me about some things that had been on her heart that she'd wanted to share with me for a long time. And I was so grateful that I did because I love her dearly. I want good things for her life, even though I just didn't feel it or whatever in that particular moment. But I'll tell you what, stepping out in faith and allowing the spirit to work through me, by the time I drove home, I was filled with desire to love her well. Sometimes that's all you need. 
Sometimes all that love needs, all that foundational moment needs is a moment of faith to act upon it and trust Christ to do his work. Trust the spirit to move you and shape you. Sometimes that's it, friends. What would that look like for you in your life? What opportunity is there in that for you? Brings me to the second one here. And it's this, put yourself in someone's shoes. This might seem like a self-evident, like super obvious thing, but how powerful is it that this is exactly what Jesus does for us? Hebrews chapter four says, for we do not have a high priest. This is talking about Jesus. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he's without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus put himself in our shoes to love you really well. Jesus actually pondered and what it was to be like you and entered into that. The son of God did this. How, how important is that? How impactful is that, right? And it doesn't say that he, he like just melded and he, he you know, was all, all these, like it says, yet he was without sin and articulates. He's different in some way. He, the way he lived and all of that, that, that's still different, but he took a moment, whether he agreed with every choice and decision and everything that humanity did to live in our shoes, to put himself in our shoes for a moment. And he loved us accordingly. And what does Hebrews 4 tell us was the corresponding result? It drew us near. We drew near to him in that love. If you want to have a genuine desire to love others well and to live out the golden rules so that you don't reach for just a metaphorical magazine, but you carry the power of the love of Christ with you into your life, start by putting yourself in someone else's shoes. What would happen, friends, if as parents we did this with our kids? I mean, so often we look and we're like, well, they don't know anything or they don't know better. And so we need to teach them this or this is what they, and we don't always pause to recognize where are they coming from? How are they experiencing this world? What are they thinking about? What's it like to be them? If you pause and put yourself in their shoes for a moment, you may not agree with everything your kid's doing, but I bet you'd find a lot of understanding. I bet you'd find a lot of wisdom. I bet a problem that felt really cloudy before might seem like it had a clear path to walk ahead. Stand in the foundation of Jesus Christ. Parents, we can do this for kids. Kids, you can do this for parents. I don't always think this, but how powerful would it be if anybody who's a minor, anybody who's a kid in this room, you found yourself just going, I wonder what it's like to be in my parents' shoes every now and then. You want to give your dad a gift on Father's Day? Just imagine what it's like to be in his shoes. What's he care about? What matters most to his heart? What's he seeing as he looks at the world? And what's he, he, he trying to do here? What's he after? That'd be a blessing to give away. And you know, more than that, they're even beyond that here, friends. What would it look like if we lived this out with generations? How powerful would it be if a younger generation looked at an older generation, instead of labeling them and putting them in a box, they said, wait, before I do any of that stuff, before I tackle a problem with vengeance, or before I tackle a problem with judgment, or before I tackle a problem with this kind of assertive moment right here, what if I just stopped and I paused and I said, wait, I want to ground myself in Jesus. And I want to live out of love of Christ. And I just thought, what's it like to be them? What's it like to walk in their shoes? What do they care about? What do they see? How do they feel? What's that mean? You won't end up agreeing with everybody, but it carves a path. The same is true for an older generation to a younger. The same is true for all of us. How powerful would that be? We're not great at this. If you want to live out of the law of love, put the golden rule into action, this becomes a very powerful thing, friends. Number three, give away what you most desire. This is what God is constantly doing with us. Not just New Testament, Old Testament. God so wants us to love him that what's he keep just unapologetically pouring out? Love. 
God so wants us to serve him that what's he keep doing? He sends Christ to be a servant for all. He says, I'll model what it looks like and I'll step in and I'll serve you first. God wants to pull us close in relationship and what's he do? He sends his son to die upon the cross, rise again, that there might be no separation, that there might just be connection with God. He, he keeps giving away what he desires most. Why don't we follow in his suit? Right? Whatever difficulty you're facing, whatever it is you're going through, whatever struggle it is you're walking through, what if you did this? What if you stopped first to say, okay, regardless of what that is, what's the thing here that I most desire that I can just give away to somebody? I talked to somebody this, or recently actually, and they're in this online dating world. I didn't have to do that, right? I met my wife like in high school. I've known her forever. And so I never did this whole online dating thing and they were trying to explain what this is like to me. And it's so complicated. I had no idea uh, how complicated it was. And what, what this friend was telling me was like, you know what, I, it's this weird environment. He's like, well, I want a real relationship with somebody. But then if I, if I go into dating saying I want a real relationship, it freaks everybody else out and there's all these judgments and then they back up. And then, and he says, and so you, then you have to like pretend in line, kind of play a game. Like nobody really cares until somebody does. And, and it all creates all of this hurt. And I, he's like, I found myself in moments and situations where I'm like, I don't even like who I am right now. Or I don't even like what this means. And I don't know what to do about it. Now I look at him and I care about that. Cause I'm like, I don't want you to go through this. And so I just want to tell him, stop it. I do. There's a part of me having no idea what he's walked through to just be like, stop doing that. Don't date online. <laughs> Solved, you know, fixed it. All that would fix, by the way, is him ever talking to me again. That's the only thing that would fix if I told him that. But here's the truth. So we have a conversation. And at the end of the day, it's this. It's standing in Christ. You look and you're like, so what's the principle? What's the tool? What's this thing? The rule? No, it's standing in the love of Jesus Christ that anchors you and asking yourself the question. And this is the path he's choosing. Who am I and what's most important to me so that he can give the thing away that he most desires to get? And he says, you know what? I want a real relationship. So I'm trying to give honesty and vulnerability away. And I want a relationship that has boundary and different things in it. And so I'm trying to give that away. And I want a relationship where I like who I am at the end of the day. So I'm trying to treat other people in a way that they'll like the way they are at the end of the day. You see, it all starts from this and it starts to dictate your actions. It becomes the thing you carry. You wield love like a weapon and it's powerful, friends. Same is true for so many different things we face in our lives. It's not the thing we sprinkle on top. It's the thing we stand Upon, And that brings me to the very last thing here today. And it's this. Start with the love of Christ. If you want to love and stand in the love of Christ that is so transforming. If you want to live out the law of love so that you can be a person who hears his words and does them. And have that firm foundation and that unshakable life amidst the chaos and things around you. And if you want to practice the golden rule as a way to move forward here, then can I just challenge each and every one of us, start with the love of Christ. You know, if you're struggling to produce the fruit of love, right? If you're struggling to produce the fruit of the love of God in your own life, then it generally means one of two things. One, there's either a part of you that struggles to be loved by God and you're struggling and you're wrestling with that. Or two, at some point you embrace God's love for salvation, but then you moved past it to build your foundation upon some kind of rule and regulation afterwards. It's usually the two things that, that play out. I'm sure there's probably more somewhere in there, but just to simplify, uh, I'd like to close this morning by speaking to those of you in both of those situations really directly. See, we love, again, because Christ first loved us. He pours it out on you. Right here and right now, you are being loved. There is love for you. You may not feel it. You may not connect with it, but it's who he is. He's pouring out love on. He loves you absolutely. 
And that love gets to pour into your life and it gets to fill you up. And it's too big for just you. God is way too big for any one of us. It just wants to overflow around us. When you recognize and you're impacted by that love, it doesn't stay there. It makes its way out and you start to give it away because it becomes like currency in your life that's just flowing through you. And it becomes a powerful thing. And so if you are walking through a space in your life where you're the person who says, but I really just struggle with this idea that God actually loves me. I, I wanna say I'm sorry. I do, I, not because I pity you, my heart's just heavy for you. That's a hard place to be. And I feel like I've had moments in my own life, I don't know what it's like to be you, but I felt that. I've walked my own version of those moments and those things. And I wanna communicate this truth to you today. It's this, love is something that we both experience because it's given, but also because we allow ourselves to be loved. You can have somebody holding the gift of love straight to you and you can put a wall, like a fortress up between you and that other person. And even though it's been given, it never gets accepted. It never gets embraced. Part of the challenge here for each and every one of us is to lower the walls and allow ourselves to be loved. Not just to recognize, sure, God likes us and he loves us and everything's great. No, to start ripping the bricks down and reach out for it and grab it. Build your life on it so that you have a firm foundation so that you're not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of these things. He loves you. And if you're wondering, but how does he love me? And why does he love me? That's a great mystery. I don't know why this is true, but it's just because it's who he is. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. And I'm sorry, but if there's something that you're like, well, I'm competing with that and I've done something so terrible, he can't love me anymore. Then you just don't understand how big God is. He's got it. He loves you. His love is like a tidal wave that overflows those walls and overflows those moments into our lives. He just loves you. It's an unstoppable force moving through human history and it makes its way even to you, friends. He loves you. And because people for all of human history have struggled to be loved by God and struggled with whether that's still true and struggled with whether they can trust it, he sent his son Jesus so that the message would be so loud that he'd give love a name. Love's called Jesus Christ in this way, friends. If you want to know what the love of God looks like, read the New Testament and look at the life of Christ. He loves you. We'll go to great lengths to overcome whatever it is that you are facing so that he can be with you in this. He died for you. If there's a moment where you feel like, well, I just feel like I'm too separate or I feel like there's something or I can't overcome this, he's overcome it. The cross declares that there's nothing that's so powerful. Jesus wouldn't say, you know what? I won't take that on me. It's mine now. And he dies. And you know what he tells us? He says, it is finished. And we get to trust him for that. We get to stand back and just be like, thank you. I don't always get it. I don't always believe it. Sometimes I struggle with it, but thank you. I want to build my foundation out of that. And then he rises again. So that if you're sitting here in any way, shape, or form, finding yourself saying, but I feel like I, I, I don't know, like I don't know about who I am and whether it's to, there to connect with Jesus or whatever this is, he rises again and makes us new. There's a newness that is waiting to be birthed from love in you. It's the power of God. And he'll fill you with his spirit to walk through life, friends. Never leaving you, never forsaking you, always loving you. And this becomes the foundation. This becomes the power. This becomes the weapon we wield as we face the difficulties of our life. It transforms us. It pierces our heart. Your heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh and it opens you up to the profound love of God. You are a son and daughter of God. You become grafted into the family. You're stuck with him. <laughs> and that is beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful, friends. Don't be wrong. You're gonna struggle in life. You're still gonna find a moment where you hear something in your house and you don't know what to reach for because you get confused and bewildered and you're not quite sure. That's part of life and it's gonna happen. 
But life becomes about from time to time putting your faith in Christ and standing in that same love that had you, that keeps you, that moves you, that carries you, that grows you and will carry you on to completion. It's Jesus Christ. He loves you. This is the firm foundation that you build your life upon. You are his and you are loved. To all of us, friends, who at one point in time have perhaps embraced that truth for salvation in our lives, may we also remember Love isn't just what has saved us. The love of God isn't just what has saved us. It is the fuel we live our lives by. I've asked the worship band to come out and sing a song for you all. And it's because I love the words to this song. The words are like a reminder because we need that sometimes. That you are loved, that the love of Christ is powerful and that it's just because he does. And the first part of the song is for you. But the second part of the song is really about us as a whole church. When you grasp that it's for you and when you experience that and you break those walls down and you say, I reach out and I accept it, it fills you up in a way that allows the church to become this shining example, this breath of love that is Christ to the world. And so it gets really loud and declarative at one point in time. And I hope it's a blessing and encouragement and a reminder to you. Friends, may the love of Christ be the weapon you wield when you find yourself struggling because of sin or suffering or fear or unknowing or whatever it is that you face in your life. It's that which pierces the human heart. It's that which turns hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, seeking to transform the world one life at a time. Let it be powerful in you. God is love. And you, my friends, are loved. Broken I come into his arms with nothing to bring but all of my heart. And how could this be the way he looks in my eyes all broken and crimson sin he sees only white, and I can't do anything to gain what he's done. He just loves me because he loves me because he loves me just because he does. I'm tired and afraid, forgotten what's paid. I'll hide in my shame Like an orphan chain I ran from my promise But it's never enough Cause my walls and my mountains Always ran out of luck And I can't do anything what he's done he just loves me because he loves me because he loves me just because he does I'm his beloved I am his friend his love has no
You know, maybe you've never actually taken a step to accept that love of Christ for yourself. Maybe this is the very first time that you've even thought about the notion of allowing yourself to be loved. And I just wanna encourage you that that's there for you today. He loves you here, he loves you now, he'll love you tomorrow and ongoing. That's powerful, friends. If you wanna start a relationship with Jesus, if you wanna embrace that love, I wanna give you a chance to just pray with me. Pray that prayer and begin that relationship here and now today. And so for all of us, will you bow your heads and can we pray together? And if that's you, pray these words with me. Jesus, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have died on the cross for our sins. We thank you that you have risen again. God, bring us to new life with you. We trust in your forgiveness. We trust in your life. And we trust in your love. God, help me to make your love and who you are my firm foundation that I stand upon. I believe in you. I love you. And I want to build my life on you. In Jesus' name, we pray all of these things. Amen. Friends, it's good to see you. If you prayed that prayer, by the way, for the very first time, and you've just taken that step, I'm excited for you, genuinely. Like, that's a huge deal. I would love to meet you and just shake your hand and congratulate you. I'll be over in the Welcome Center immediately after service. For all of you, have an amazing Father's Day today. Celebrate well, and we'll see you soon.